father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining All right, coaches, hey, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is episode 262. So uh, we're so excited to have a fellow podcaster and really a fine coach out in Nebraska. We love kind of spreading the wealth in different states, Marty. Um, and we know there's a lot of great coaches all around the country, and you're one of them. Uh, you're definitely considered one of the great program builders. You're also very innovative in your podcast. You're going to talk about that and your website. So we appreciate you coming on the podcast, Marty. Uh, thanks. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I, I did a little digging on your stuff as well and, and, and high yeah. quality stuff. Uh, you know, so I, again, uh, your, your praise is very humbling. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I feel like we got a long way to go with the current program that we're building, but we're, we're taking steps every day and that's what we're looking to do. Yeah. And Marty's at uh, Fort Calhoun Community School. Uh, in Fort Calhoun, Nebraska. I'm assuming that's close to Omaha. Is that correct? Or Yeah, it's just a little bedroom community about eight miles north uh, of town. Uh, so, it, you know, I live in Omaha, uh, but it's only about a 15 minute drive for me. And, and it's literally just a, a little a village of about 1500 people, um, about eight miles north of Omaha. So uh, they kind of have the best of both worlds. They have the small town stuff, uh, but they're about 20 to 25 minutes away from the college world series if they want to go down there and, and check that out every june so it's it's a it's a nice setup for the people of the community yeah and our one, our topic today marty and pete is is uh, of course we have our our y'all know pete acock our, our co-host of the program uh pete's going to offer some great wisdom and some questions for marty uh we're going to talk about building a program and there's a lot of coaches that are coming into new situations marty now that need help and i was actually uh, you have some great material on your website um, that uh, coaches can actually uh, heat into and, and kind of study. And also we're going to talk about full court pressure defense, which you feel is definitely one of your strengths and, and what you love to teach. Hey, before you get into that, coach, kind of talk about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? And how you got into the coaching profession? Uh, I grew up in a, <clears throat> excuse me, in a little small farm town called Sheldon, Iowa. Uh, which is up in Northwest Iowa, um, halfway between Sioux City, Iowa, and a, a vacation area in the region called Okaboji. And uh, my dad was a, or uh, yeah, he re he's retired now. He he was a business teacher at a at a college, and uh, really passionate about his sports. He's a big baseball fan, big Atlanta Braves fan. So down in your neck of the woods. So he's he's a, he's a happy guy right now. Um, and. Uh, so I was just a, a sports dork, for lack of a better way of saying it, when I was a kid. I mean, I watched anything and everything that was on TV, and, and I kind of always knew I wanted to be a coach. Um, I went to college at Briarcliff College in Sioux City, Iowa, and I was lucky enough to, uh, my first year there, I, I worked for uh, the men's basketball coach named Ray Nackey, who is a legendary NAIA coach, won over 500 games, and um you know, just had a terrific program there. And, and my 
during that season, uh, a guy by the name of Mike Power, who was the women's basketball coach there uh, at the time, he was rebuilding that program. And he found out that my, uh, that he was recruiting my cousin, Sarah, who uh, she won the DNA lottery in our family. Uh, she's six foot one and, and really athletic. And, and uh, when Mike found out that Sarah was my cousin, Mike wanted to get to know me a heck of a lot better than he knew me already. Right. And oh, I so did. I kind of, you know, I kind of helped Mike uh, recruit my cousin. And then the next fall, you know, I kind of just hadn't thought anything of it. And then the next fall, he kind of asked me to do another thing for him. And I was like, you know, sure. And, and another thing led to another thing. And after about three weeks of this uh, dance, if you will, um, Mike asked me to be his assistant coach. And I was like, okay, I could be a manager and, and wash uniforms, or I could actually get some hands-on experience. And it was one of the best professional decisions I ever made in my life. Uh, that, that next year, we were about 500. Uh, the year after that, we made it to the national tournament for the first time, and we won a couple of games, and then everything just kind of took off and went nuts at that point. Uh, we were in the top five in the country for the next five years or so, and that's where my career took off. I worked with Mike. At one point, it was myself, Mike, and Jamie Sale, who's won multiple national championships at Morningside College in, in Sioux City, and, um, you know, it's, it's just been going from there, and that's how I got into, the, got into this crazy business. And uh, you know, that's, and then my wife always wanted to move to Omaha. So I started looking for jobs down in the Omaha area and got a, saw an opening at, at a place called Scut Catholic, uh, which I had never heard of before, but I threw my resume in the mail and then completely forgot about it. And then about two or three weeks later, I got a call from the principal saying, would you like to interview? I said, sure. And then I went back and tried to figure out which job I had applied for. And I just committed to an interview for, and, and got the, you know, got the interview and, and uh, started out as the assistant coach. And then three years later became the head coach and was there for 13 years as the head coach. And then took a couple of years off and now I'm back in it. Absolutely on that. Let's get right into your podcast. Cause I think you and I are about very similar. We, um, we, we were, we were talking yesterday, Marty, about why we do it. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's no money, things like that. I mean, there's income you can get from different sources. Yep. But uh, we love to share the game. I, I, my, my biggest joy from this is meeting guys like you yeah, that, that, that I would never game. meet any other way. Why, mm -hmm. why, do you, why, why do you do what you do with your podcast and your website? Well, like I said, uh, I was at Scott for 13 years. And, and you know, I, I just got into a situation where uh, looking at it from a, from a position of hindsight, I, I just burnt myself out. Um, and I, I needed to take some time away. I mean, I was, it, it just got kind of a little bit to the point where um, some unhealthy things were happening and not, not like evil or anything like that, but it was just uh, when you're yelling at the TV screen because of things that aren't going right during the, the game as you're watching the film. And, um, you know, we just, we just had some, some situations that weren't working out. Right. Um, and I needed to step away. And it was, it was, it was a very difficult time. Um, I, I wasn't sure where I was at or what I was going to do. Um, and so I, I took a year off and, uh, interviewed for a couple of jobs after year one and nothing really kind of fit. Um, and, and then we were out for a family walk and this was about mid to late July of in between year one and year two of the sabbatical. And, um, 
I was just kind of talking with my wife and I was like, you know, what should, you know, what I, I feel like I want to do something, but what should I do? I don't know. You know, I'm not really ready to get back into the coaching yet. Uh, so forth and so on, but I want to do something with the game. And it wasn't and during that year, I, I was still watching YouTube films and, and taking notes and, and doing things. So I was, I wasn't not coaching per se. I just didn't have a team to coach. And, and she said, well, you talk a lot and uh, you like talking with people. She said it nicer than that, but that's what she really meant. You talk a lot and you would probably be pretty good at, 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 at doing a podcast. Why don't you do a podcast? Hmm. Uh, kind of like, oh, that's a good idea. And so truly all the credit goes to my wife. Uh, she was the one that, that kind of came up with the idea. So I started doing some researching on it and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And one of the things that I learned when I was in this in-between time, this sabbatical time was there's a lot of coaching stuff out there, but I didn't feel like there was anything that I could find at that time that really fit what high school coaches needed. Like, you know, championship production, this is the comparison I always make. Championship productions is awesome. They have awesome videotapes and they have a lot of things that you can use and so forth and so on. Um, but Gino Ariema is coaching 12 kids that are McDonald's All-Americans. I got 12 kids that can barely afford to go to McDonald's. So how do I make this work and help out people who, you know, have been in my situation, who you're dealing with a parent that is just being unreasonable, or you've got five good kids and you've got 20 kids total, but how do you build a program with that type of ratio? How do you run a good practice with 24 kids in the gym? Um, just all those, you know, how do you deal with, um, how do you work with other coaches who maybe are not as cooperative as you would like in the sharing of athletes and so just all of these topics. And so I kind of did the research on how I was going to do it, you know, just the technical aspects of it. I, um, I actually, you know, like I said, my dad was a business teacher and so I kind of have that little marketing part in my brain. So I'm not kidding you guys. I probably spent way too much time and energy over the span of two weeks trying to decide whether to call it a pen and a napkin or a napkin and a pen. <laughs> and uh, because again, you know, just what's the, what's the marketing angle and that type of thing. Um, and um, I kind of reached out and I bounced the idea off of a couple of people, a couple of people that I trusted. And uh, and I was like, okay, let's, let's go for it. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And I, and I really, and I was able to, you know, reach into my bag of, you know, coaching friends, uh, to get a little confidence, you know, that, okay, here's some people that I know, and I have got a good background with, uh, you know, I can't thank people like Kelly Flynn and, and Jen Raggi and Dick Jungers, my former high school classmate, who's just done a terrific job at his job, uh, to come on the podcast first, as I kind of found my legs. Uh, I had two goals. Number one, uh, I didn't want to sound like an idiot. I mean, that was literally goal number one. I just didn't want to sound like a, 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 an idiot. And, and the second goal was, okay, what's a tangible goal I can have? And I thought, okay, if I can get 365 Twitter followers in the first year, just get one new Twitter follower a day. And if after a year I have that, um, that's, 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 that was the goal. And I ended up with like 700 and some after the first year and everything kind of progressed. And then I, I ended up getting back into coaching and that kind of threw a little bit of a monkey wrench into it. I had to make a decision. Do I keep going with this or do I just concentrate fully on it? And I thought, well, I'll give it a, 
a shot and see what happens. And I've been able to work it out to where I'm still coaching and still doing the podcasting and all the other stuff. So um, that's kind of how everything happens. So, so for the folks that have listened to my stuff or have seen the stuff on Twitter, uh, give Carla Plum a shout out because she's the one that, you know, was the real brains behind the whole situation. She's the one that told me to do it. Yeah. Sometimes it's the people closest to us that really know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And cause Pete's been along. Pete was my first, um, person I had on the podcast, Marty. So, um, <laughs> yep. it's a great so honor. <laughs> yep. believe me, uh, I, you know, if I go back to my first podcast, I've come a long ways, uh, and, uh, but I want to talk about, I want to talk about your journey because mental health in coaching is totally neglected because I think we put mm-hmm. so much pressure on ourselves. And what yeah. that happens is, like you said, you start maybe yelling at kids, you start, I mean, you're putting yeah. a lot of pressure. I think mm-hmm. it's undervalued the mental health, the strain that us coaches have. And not only that, the lack of pay. So yeah. talk about that a little bit. Well, um, the lack of pay, you know, you're getting into it for the, for the, exactly. for the lack of money, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, like I said, you know, I, I, I went, um, I, I, the, the, the year, the year before I stepped away was one of my most enjoyable seasons that I've ever had. Um, I, I had a great group of kids and, and let me be clear, this is all self-inflicted. It was all self-inflicted. It was nobody's fault, but my own, um, for years, I'd kind of taken on too much. I had, I had respected my assistant coaches too much per se. Um, maybe, you know, I had to control things a little bit not a little bit, a lot bit too much. Um, and we, we kind of struggled out of the gate my last year. Um, I, you know, we, we tried to do a lot of different things to reach that particular group of kids. And we just felt like we couldn't reach them. Um, I started, and, and I had probably over the years put too much pressure on myself. The school that I was at has been extremely successful, um, in a lot of different sports. And, um, I just felt like, uh, in some ways I was failing the school that, that our program wasn't reaching those heights. You know, we had averaged 15 wins a year for four years before that last year. And it was just kind of like, yeah, whatever you guys are okay. You know, at, you know, at, at a lot of schools, if you average, if you win two thirds of your games, you know, that's, that's a, that's a really solid program at, at a lot of, a lot of schools. Um, so a lot of it was, like I said, it was 100% self-inflicted. Um, so, what has come out of that, what's been positive is I've, I've learned how to delegate much better. I literally tell my assistants, okay, here's the list of 12 things that I'm just not doing and you're doing. Split it up. I don't care who does it. I'll give you a little bit of guidance initially, but you're going to do it. Um, the, 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 the community that I'm in right now uh, has a youth organization and, and I've got a great guy in Brett Greenow. I want to give a big shout out to Brett, uh, who has handled so many things with scheduling of practices. I mean, just taking time to schedule practices. And, and I heard something uh, from Mike Neighbors at Arkansas. I think it was Mike. Um, if it doesn't involve winning, you shouldn't do it as a head coach. And that was, a, that was like a, a clear as a bell statement for me that um, – okay, if this doesn't involve directly with the potential wins and losses of our program, I've got to delegate it to somebody else. And, and that was, you know, I, I, during my sabbatical, 
I again spent way too much time, but I'm glad I did. I, I, I spent a lot of time on a spreadsheet and it, it's just literally delegation of authority. And here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to stick to this list and, and I'm going to be very upfront with my assistant coaches. If they're going to coach with me, here's the stuff you're going to do. Here's the stuff you're going to do, or we're going to mix and match it, but here's going to be your responsibilities. And, um, you know, that's just the way it's going to be if you're going to work for me. And, um, those are things that, that I needed to do. Um, something that I do, it's a little thing. Um, something I, I read every night before I go to bed. But the one thing I don't do when I read at night before I go to bed is I don't read a lot of leadership books or things like that. I, I'll read a true crime book or I'll read just a generic basketball book. Like, uh, I don't know, there was one that I, I, I ordered the new Patriots book uh, that's coming out here this week. Yeah, uh, I'll read that, so but I'm not gonna, but I'm not gonna read uh, you know, a leadership 101 book, because then my head starts spinning, and then you start thinking about stuff. And so that's just something I need to discipline myself to not do. Uh, because you need your sleep, you need, you know, um, one of the things we've talked about with my coaches this week, uh, we're going to start lifting as a program again, because so many of our athletes are fall athletes with their various fall sports here in Nebraska. Well, instead of me coming into that weight room, three days a week at 630 in the morning, uh, you know, no, you're taking Monday, you're taking Wednesday, I'll take Friday. As long as one of us is there, I don't need to be there every day. And, and so it's just things like that, that if, and I'll, again, I'll go back to that Mike neighbors, neighbors quote that I had to look at it. If it doesn't involve winning, then I don't do it. And I delegate it and I push it off to somebody else. And I say, get it taken care of. And, and as long as you do it well, just do it. And so um, I think that's really important. I, I think that's really important that um, that that coaches take care of themselves. You know, we've really seen that with COVID and 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 the quarantining and mental health, and and I think that's just a big part of it. So, um, you know, it was it was very difficult to go through. I'm not going to lie; it was very difficult to go through, especially that first year. Uh, but when I interviewed for those jobs, even then, I didn't feel comfortable uh, for for various different reasons. Um, it wasn't until January of the second year out. And I'll really point it about then where I, I told my wife, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. If, if now, when I looked at it, there had to be four or five non-negotiables. And I really had to discipline myself because you know how it is when you're, when you're applying for a job, um, you go, uh, well, I think I can make this job work and that type of thing. Uh, because just, that's just the way we think as, as teachers, as educators, as coaches. Um, it had, and I had to really discipline myself to go, it has to be one, it, all five of these things have to be checked off the list before I would accept this job. And, and hats off to the administrators that I work for at Fort Calhoun, they, they nailed every single one of them. And that's why it was so easy to, to take the position. That's great advice. You had a lot in there, Marty. I love that. Uh, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Like I said, like my wife said, I'm Italian and I talk a lot. So <laughs> you to shut up if you need me to shut up. Not at all. Not at all. We want you to talk. We want you to share. Um, yeah, I, um, uh, I've made mistakes. Uh, a lot of those mistakes you're talking about, I have already made. And hopefully after 30 years, I, I start learning. I love the checklist, though, for coaches. I think it's something because I think a lot of coaches, they go in, hey, the first person that offers yep. them a job they take it. But hey, Pete, what question do you have for Marty? Because you've been there, done that. Exactly what he just got through talking about. <clears throat> what I wrote down to ask him was, what are your bones? The bones of your program. 
the five things or whatever the number is that you focus on every single day. We used okay. to have a little saying every day, and it was the things that were most important to us. We, I think you press and run. We pressed and run constantly, run the number break there. But I think that a lot of young coaches, they don't establish what their bones are. Like you got to the place where you had to tell that principal when you were interviewing, I got to have these five things right here. Mm-hmm. And that's part yep. of your bones. It might not be part of your practice plan, but it's the things that you've got to have to get the job done. Yep. And I guess I'm talking about the things that you hang your hat on when you get yep. to your program. Yep. Um, and I'd like to know what those things, what those things actually are. Well, truth be told, I'd never told them that checklist. And I've only ever told my wife that checklist uh, <laughs> because I want them to sell me. I don't, if somebody wants me, and I think this is important. If somebody wants you to be their coach, you've got to have that checklist. And if you tell them, well, here's what I'm looking for, then they're going to try and maybe make one or two of those things up as they go along because they want you, but they're not going to follow through with it. I want to see that genuinely come from them when I'm interviewing for a job. I don't want to uh, have them tell you what you want to hear instead of that i want to i want to legitimately see it for myself that's and again that's just me that's just me so uh we have you're talking about bones coach i love that we have we have four pillars to our program uh that's wisdom though that's wisdom (laughs) i'm trying i uh, i'm trying uh the, the the we have four pillars um the first pillar is we're gonna have a great culture every year and and let me say these first three are permanent these first three are permanent we we don't budge off of these off of these, uh, these first three. Uh, the first one is a great culture. And everybody says that. Um, I, I think it's something after doing it this long, especially coaching uh, girls basketball. Guys are more just give me the ball and let's play. Uh, girls basketball, it's more about the experience. It's more about uh, yes. being together in that locker room and, and, and being together as one group. And so we are hyper-focused on culture and, and building a great experience for our kids. And so we want that culture to be number one. Uh, number two, we want to control the tempo of the game. And I know we're going to talk about pressing here in a little bit. A lot of people think pressing is selling out and trapping and flying all over the place, uh, 94 by 50. Uh, sometimes you press to slow the tempo down. And, and we think with the system that we, we're kind of putting in place here, uh, we, we can control however we want the tempo to go. Uh, The third thing that's a pillar in our program is shooters. We want to develop shooters. If we can develop great shooters, consistent great shooters, and decent ball handlers, that's a lot easier to break down a defense than it is to spend all the time developing great ball handlers and okay shooters. Um, And so we spend I don't know how much time in practice shooting the basketball and in the off season shooting the basketball. Uh, we want to develop great shooters. And then the fourth pillar, um, I'm going to cheat here, or I'm not cheating, but this is what I decided to do is we're going to, we're going to adjust that pillar every year uh, based on what that team needs or, or what we think is important for that team. So last year, the first year that I took over, it was value possession. Uh, the year before when I was watching them on film, just way too many turnovers, just way too many turnovers. And so we said, 
we're going to emphasize valuing possession every day. And, and we just did the most fundamental drills over and over again. And, and we significantly cut down our turnovers, which gave us a chance to win games. Uh, this year, it's, it's about finishing possessions. That's, that's our fourth pillar is finishing possessions. Uh, if we make, if, if, if we get one more stop and one more score in each half, that's an eight point swing. That's going to give us three or four more wins. And so we need to, you know, that's going to be our fourth pillar this year is finishing possessions. So those first three are permanent. And then the fourth one, uh, is, is based on the needs or what we feel like we need to emphasize for that team that season, because every team is, is different and unique. I love that, Marty. And I think that's uh, just kind of going into our first topic, which is building a program. This is what coaches need to establish right from the beginning. Your advantage is, is you learn the hard way, right? On, yeah. And I, I don't know if your pillars have changed or they get a, adjusted. I know mine's been adjusted over the years, but mm -hmm. this is step number one going into a new program, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, and I mean, uh, the kids had struggled. You know, my, my seniors had uh, going into last season, the, the, the kids that graduated last spring. Uh, in their varsity careers, in three years of varsity basketball, they had only won uh, 10 games total in three years. So, you know, right before I took the job, I said, uh, you know, I told my athletic director, you know, this is not going to be a quick fix. And he goes, we know, we know. And, and we've got your back. You, you, and, and, and the great thing was they kind of have given us carte blanche, you know, within reason, uh, you know, to, uh, do whatever we need to do. We're not taking private jets to games or anything like that just yet. We're working on it, but yeah, we're getting it. So, uh, but uh, so, and, and I took over uh, right in the smack dab middle of, of, of quarantine. And, and so, um, so we were on a zoom call uh, with the kids. I had a zoom call to kind of introduce myself. Uh, the athletic director introduced me. And then a, a couple of weeks later uh, we had one with just myself and the team. And I, and I, you know, one of the first things I asked, I said, well, what do you want? What do you want to do? And the couple of the kids said, we're tired of being embarrassed. Uh, we're tired of people making fun of us in the hallway. Uh, I said, okay. And, 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 you know, they kind of went on like that. I said, okay, that's great. That's, 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 that's understandable. What are you going to do to change that? Because you could talk about wanting to do that. But what are you going to do to change it? And, and I asked them, you know, do you trust me to put you in the best situation that I can to, to change that? And they were like, yeah. And those kids bought in and they bought in. And they just, uh, the thing that I really respect about the team that we had last year, um, they just didn't talk the talk, they walked the walk. And um, they worked their tails off. Uh, they came out with some urgency. They were so open to coaching. Um, and so appreciative of all of that, that it made the transition really easy, uh, in that regard. Now it's the first time in my life I've ever lost eight games in a row, uh, which, you know, if you're a competitive person, even when you know, you're going to kind of struggle, that's, that's, that's hard to swallow. Uh, but the thing is that the kids just kept, just kept working away just kept working away and you could see it. You could see it developing. You could see it. We were getting significantly better every time. Uh, we emphasize just get 1% better today. 
uh, if I had a nickel for every time that I said that, um, I'd be out of podcasting right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, get 1% better. Uh, we didn't do a lot, but what we did, we left no room for negotiation or error. Uh, we didn't panic, I think. And, and that's one of the things that my assistant coach said. Um, you know, you're just, you're, you're not panicking. You're, you're, you're staying with what we're doing. And it's like, yeah. And, and, and I, what I did, um, and I never told the players this, and I don't know if I've even said this publicly or not. So, um, we went into it and I divided in my own mind, I divided the season into three different parts. And we, let's say we started practice on November 15th. I, so from November 15th to December 15th, it's going to be a train wreck. It, it's just going to be not good. Um, they're going to be learning completely new drills. We're putting in new and different concepts. Um, whatever we get out of it will be gravy. Um, and then from, from December 15th to January 15th, we hope to see some improvement, you know, like let's start seeing some tangible steps. Now that stretch was coincided with the toughest stretch of our season with the teams that we were playing and we, and the kids, uh, they went through a lot. Uh, they lost a classmate, my seniors, uh, they, they had one of their classmates pass away on Christmas Eve. Um, which I didn't know about till I got back from Christmas break. Like we're 15 minutes going into our first meeting after Christmas break. And I didn't know about this until my assistant told me. And, and I literally told the kids, Hey, if, if you don't want to play today, that's cool. Go home. Um, I understand. I, I, I wouldn't want to be here if I were you. None of them left. Um, just a tough group of kids um, going through COVID, all of this other stuff. And then I, in my mind, like I said, from January 15th till whenever we were done, that's when I hoped we might be able to get a couple of wins. Uh, we very rarely, we, we never talked about winning. We never talked about winning. We talked about standards. We talked about how to do things the right way. Uh, we continue to talk about what is acceptable, what is not acceptable when it comes to the effort of things. Um, I very, uh, these, these kids had won 10 games in three years. They'd been beaten down enough. I think one of the things that we did as a coaching staff is we believed in the kids. Uh, we told them that what they were capable of doing, not consistently telling them what they were screwing up or what was not going well. Yeah, no crap. We can figure out what's not going well. We're getting our butt kicked. Okay. How do we fix the problem? And a lot of times uh, we, we have coaches who like to talk about the problem, but they don't give us any solutions. One of my rules for my assistant coaches, don't come to me with a problem unless you come to me with a solution. That's a rule. Um, Cause I just don't want you to come in here and complain just to complain. If you got a, if we've got a problem, if you see a problem, that's great. But then come to me with a solution to the problem. That's the only way we're going to fix it. And, and so those are the things that we kind of emphasized. Um, and, and we're not going to talk about winning this year. We're going to talk about getting 1% better every day. We're going to talk about the, the work that it takes to, to get things done. Um, and, and that's just going to be kind of be the forever theme. You know, a lot of people get caught up in the, in the wins and losses. We literally, um, and, and what we had to also do is find small victories. Like I said, these kids had really struggled. Um, so we would say we would use like our Don Meyer shot chart to evaluate our possessions and how well we're taking care of the basketball. So um, we would point out, hey, you know, 
At Dr. Dish Basketball, we're creating basketball shooting machines that accelerate player performance. With features like on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball is the number one source for basketball training. Whether you're training in your driveway, running a practice, or developing a workout program, we have the most innovative training solutions to help your players practice like they play. And just for listening to this podcast, you qualify for an exclusive discount. Just mention Championship Vision Podcast to your sales rep when you call in. For more information, visit drdishbasketball.com or call 952-873-2633. Again, that number is 952-873-2633. And remember, be better every day. Dr. Dish Basketball's Virtual Camp 2.0 is now live. Our camp features drills and workouts from pro players, coaches, and trainers like Byron Scott, Quincy Pondexter, and four-time WNBA champ Lindsey Whalen. And though we're known for our shooting machines, the camp also features ball handling, agility, and conditioning drills to help athletes of all ages round out their game. A shooting machine is not required for this camp, but if you own or have access to a Dr. Dish CT or Dr. Dish home, you can follow along with our pre-built program and track your progress and your stats. Sign up today to gain access to the Virtual Camp 2.0 featured drills and workouts by visiting drdishbasketball.com slash virtualcamp2021. That's drdishbasketball.com slash virtual-camp-2021. A week ago when we played a game, our our Don Meyer shot chart was at 2.1. Well, yeah, we lost last night, but you know what? Our our honest evaluation of our possessions, we went from 2.1 to 2.5. That's tangible improvement. You're doing now it's just... You got to, you know, now you're getting better looks because you're taking better care of the ball because you're working on your passing and catching and, and squaring up to the basket. Now, if you just keep doing this, look at the possessions and, and you use the film a little bit and, and the ball will eventually go in the basket if you keep working at it. And again, to give our kids all the credit in the world, they're the ones that just kept slugging away. Um, we had to celebrate things. Uh, every game, I told him, I said, when we win a game, we're dancing. We're literally going to put on some, I said, pick out a victory song. We're going to dance in the locker room. This is, I'm a diehard Chicago Cub fan. Um, so Joe Madden would, you know, we're, they're going to celebrate after uh, every win. And so we lost our first two games. We won our third and I went in there and they're kind of looking at me and, and I go, and I was like Kevin Bacon at the end of Footloose. I was like, let's dance. And they were like, oh, my God, he's really serious. So this kind of dorky middle-aged guy is in this locker room dancing with, these, with, with the high school kids, but they needed joy. They needed to find joy in the game and, and feel better about themselves. And um, when times got down, uh, they just kept going at it. And, again, I can't give the kids enough credit. So You mentioned some good points in there. I love all the points that you made. And Pete will tell you uh, I'm a big believer in celebration. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, I don't think we have enough joy in coaching. I see so yes. many coaches that are, um, I, and you can be serious, but I, you know what? Sometimes mm-hmm. I think it's overdone these days, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, yeah. But uh, I have a statement, and I want you to kind of add on to that. It sounds like you guys do this. You, even when you lose, you win. And that yeah. is, that's a team that I can coach. Is that mm-hmm. what you're trying? That's what you're trying to build there, right? Yeah. We want to get 1% better every day. So, you know, I teach history. So excuse the math here a little bit. I know it's not exact, but, you know, we just, we would just say, okay, we had 13 players on our team last year, 13 or 14. I think maybe it was 14. I can't remember. Um, 
if each one of you gets 1% every better every day. So the first day, everybody gets 1% better. That means as a team, we've just gotten 13% better. So let's do that again tomorrow. And then 13 plus 13 is 26. So in, in, in six practices or eight practices, we've gotten 100% better if everybody just focuses on getting 1% better individually. And when we started putting things and breaking it down, because so often um, you look at the final score and you go, you judge, just judge yourself by that final score. You win or you lose. And, and I understand that at some point in, in, the, in the position that I'm in, um, ultimately that's going to be the ultimate judge of things, just the final win and the final loss. But to get there, to rebuild something, you've got to find small victories. Uh, we gave away little awards at the end of after every game. Um, uh, we gave a, a padlock to a kid um, to for the lockdown defender of the game. Uh, we gave a bottle of Windex to the the girl that led us in rebounding that game. The Windex woman took it took us a little while to explain that one to him a little bit, but once they got it, they got it. You know. Um, Every time a player took a charge in practice or in a game, they got to, I bought this old crappy uh, lunch pail and they would sign the inside of it. And, and it was like, they didn't want to give it away to anybody else as a point of pride that these are the little things we're going to do to be tough and, and, and nitty gritty, so to speak. And so we had to use those things to show them Here's the details of the game that you need to use uh, or to, to execute in order to get better, but you got to do them a little bit at a time. If you take that charge in the second quarter, now all of a sudden the other team's best player has two fouls on them. Now they're sitting out. Now we've got a better chance. But until you learn how to properly take a charge and, and practice taking that charge, and then the momentum shift to me, like in girls basketball, taking a charge is like a dunk in guys basketball. That's how big of a momentum changer it is to me. Um, and, and so those are things that we emphasize and that toughness uh, in that regard, uh, again, just to, just to build them up and to give them small victories a little bit at a time. And then they started taking a point of pride in it. And um, you know, they, they bought in. And again, I can't give the kids enough credit for buying into those things. And then after we, we knew we were headed in the right direction when about uh, January 15th, they started saying the same things we were saying. And a lot of times our seniors were saying it before we said it as a coaching staff. Then we knew we were real, that we were really getting that buy-in from the kids. And they were, they, not only were they buying in, they weren't just parroting it, they believed it and they were understanding why they were saying. Yeah, that comes to leadership, your leadership and um, the creative, I call it creative teaching. Uh, yeah. So, and I love that. I love those ideas with the uh, padlock, the Windex and the, and the lunch pail. I'll probably steal one or two of those from you. Uh, Go ahead. Actually, this year, Marty, uh, I'm actually, we, I got a uh, championship built. Okay. And it's going to go into our, uh, throughout the season, we're going to have shooting challenges. I like games. Yep. I like the kids to compete in games. And I like, we have, you know, and our, our logo is um, row the boat. So we have a big oar that we use. We we use it at the game. Pete's seen it. We're, we're a little wacko, but I love your ideas. I'm going to steal a couple of those if that's all right. 
you know, as an Iowa, as an Iowa person and you t- steal and touch something from PJ Fleck at Minnesota, I'm a little torn by that. Uh, <laughs> That's right. But, you know, I forgive and forget. So go ahead. Yeah. I, yeah I'm I the high school version of PJ, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to take that much credit because he, he's a genius. Matter of fact. Yeah. He does um, great things. But uh, the girls really, buy it. I think you got to have something before we move on to your next topic. You got to have something within your program, whether not necessarily a mantra, but an identity, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what yep. is your true identity there uh, at, at, at your, your school? Uh, we just say attack. And guy, uh, you have to forgive me here. Uh, now you're putting me on the spot. I might have to. Uh, <laughs> so I came up with this acronym. I read Pete Carroll's book. Uh, uh, whatever it's called. I can't remember what it is, but read Pete Carroll's book. All right. I'm telling your listeners that. And, and so I wanted something aggressive, but I also wanted something that stood for the things that I thought were important. And so we came up or I came up with attack and, and then attack stands for uh, appreciate, appreciate, uh, appreciate toughness together I can't remember what the second A is, compete and knowledge. And uh, if I looked at my practice plan, I'd be able to find it. Uh, if somebody wants it um, and, and all my stuff, you know, feel free to, to reach out to me, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Or I'm, I'm, we might get to that at the end. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, that's what, that's what we emphasize. So we break every huddle, attack. Um, and we want to attack and have that attacking mindset too, uh, on offense. And, 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 and we, we also summarize it by saying, uh, when we're on offense, we attack the rim. When we're on defense, we attack the ball and every day we attack the process of getting better. And, and we just hammer that home to our kids and we're just really consistent with that. And so, uh, the first three days of practice, we take five minutes and we talk about what AT in attack means. And, and we, and we instruct them that what the definition of it is and then TA and then CK. And that's what we cover the first three days of, of practice every year. And we talk to our junior high kids about it. And we talk to our elementary school kids about it, that this is, this is what it means. And this is who we are. And we want to appreciate the opportunity of playing basketball. We expect you to be tough. We expect you to be together as a team, to, to be great teammates with one another. Um, we, and doggone, I can't remember the second A, so now I feel bad. I, uh, but uh, <laughs> we, we, we expect you to compete in everything that we do. Uh, we expect you to have great knowledge, to play the game smartly, and to, to play it the right way. Um, and, and so they know what it means, that it's not just an empty phrase. Um, that, that it's, it's genuinely just pounded into our kids and, and repeated over and over again, that it becomes a mentality and hopefully year two, it's an even uh, better mentality than it was in year one. I love acronyms because it's a great teaching tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I love how you defined it. I love how you, def- you defined, it. I think we actually, for clarity, I think we need to define things more the whys, the purpose of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I think your great teachers do that. Uh, I know that we strive to do that. And I, I learned a lot. Matter of fact, I love the attack the rim, attack the ball, attack the process. That's something you can sell every single day in your mm-hmm. practices, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, you just simplify it for your kids. On offense, what am I supposed to do if I got the ball? I got to look to attack the rim. Now, 
got to find the rim first, you know, uh, and, uh, but, but it's, it's just a, it's an aggressive mantra. You, you can't play this game scared. You can't play this game tentatively. Uh, and, and so when we say attack, it's an aggressive action and it puts that mentality into their heads that here's the direction we're going with it. Yeah. I love that. Hey, Pete, um, Talk about that really quick before we get into his full court pressure. Uh, sure. Talk about the importance of an identity. Well, if you don't have an identity, then you're you're just like everybody else. And kids mm -hmm. do not want to be just like everybody else. You play athletics to to show. I, I always call it it's showtime, and I don't mean go out and show off. I mean go out and show people who we are, how mm -hmm. we do things. But this long time ago, I used that phrase attack. I said, the first thing we're going to do, we will attack you on defense like people have never seen, and we will attack you on offense. And what you were saying, it carries over. Mm -hmm. But then you've got to be wise with that. It was a guy in Iowa. I can't remember his name. He was a girls coach a long time ago, and I, he was a pressing coach. And I always press full court, run and jump. And he said, we don't press in order to steal the ball. We press in order to make you make a decision and turn the ball over. Mm -hmm. He said, we'll steal the ball a, lot, a good bit, but no, we're going to keep pressure on you. And, you know, I found out early on, if you'll keep the pressure there the whole game, when your kids are physically ready, you can make some things happen that are good. But that attack mentality is the thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is the thing. You're either attacking – you're either on your toes or you're on your heels, one or the other. It's like attacking the glass on on a defense when the ball is shot. Kevin likes to use the phrase, I want uh, at least eight feet in the paint. Elbows up, hands out, go get the ball, attack, attack, attack. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, uh, I don't know, we I, we did that for a long time. And, I, and after that, we came up with this thing of don't touch on defense. We played pressure man and – it, I just said, it's your job not to allow the ball handler to touch you. Mm -hmm. And we've used forearm away from the ball. And we just kept it pretty simple. And it helped us with not fouling. But anyway, uh, that culture that you've got going with those girls, that's what works with girls. Now, boys, it'll work. But boys don't care about so many things that girls just care the most about. Yeah. And everything you're doing, I promise, it's like the word why. There is not a more motivating word today than why with young people. Mm -hmm. They want to know why you're doing it. And once they know why, then you've got them. You've got them then. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, I, I think one of the things that uh, I tell coaches all the time is our kids, is the, the, the kids that play today, uh, their, their brains are different than yours and I's, uh, the, the, the social media, the, the, the computer stuff. I, I can even feel it in myself that my, I feel like my brain is functioning a little bit differently, uh, than it was 15 years ago. Now, some might say, well, it's good that your brain's finally functioning. And I get that. I, I mean, I understand, you know, uh, but, uh, no, it's, it's different. Their brains work differently. Um, the, the days of, the coach up at the chalkboard drawing stuff up there for 20 minutes and explaining it that way, it is long gone. Uh, you can't do that anymore. 
you can't go on some seven minute soliloquy on footwork on 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 rebounding or something like that. It's it's got to be uh, you got to coach in bullet points, as Kevin Eastman says. Uh, you got to coach in bullet points. Uh, we try to coach in seven second corrections. I tell my assistant coaches, if you can't say it in in seven seconds, then you got to take the kid off the floor and and talk to him and let's bring somebody else in because we got to keep moving here. And and uh, my 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 assistant coaches do a pretty good job with that. They're still they're still learning. Um, I try to limit myself to that. Um, a lot of people may look at that and go, well, you're, you're under coaching them. Well, no, here's what you need to know in five, six seconds and then go do it and then go do it because I can tell you how to do it all I want, but unless you're doing it, um, you're not going to learn how to do it. And, and so we really try to like one of my goals, uh, we laid out, a or I laid out a, a, a plan, a, a three-year plan. Uh, of how we're going to build things piece by piece. And uh, I knew I was going to have to talk a lot more than I wanted to last year because everything was new. So in my, in my goals, I said, I just want to talk 25% of the practice. Um, and if I can do that, that's pretty good. Um, this year, I just want to talk 15%. I want to talk 15% of the practice. I want us to be playing and doing stuff 85% of the practice. Next year, I've already put it out there. It's, it's 10, I want to coach. I want to talk 10% of the practice. That doesn't mean that I'm not talking. That doesn't mean that I'm not coaching, but when I talk, it's going to be boom, 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 go boom, 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 go. And, and I think that that mentality and the way that we have to, we have to adjust to the kids. It's not up to the kids to adjust to us when it comes to things like that. Um, we've got to figure out how to adjust to the kids in that regard now there's certain non-negotiables you gotta play your tail off you've got to be a great teammate you've got when i'm talking you better be listening and things like that that's non-negotiable but they're not going to listen to you if you're like i said if you're you're doing a seven minute soliloquy on on uh, footwork on rebounding that's on you you've lost them at that point they're willing to listen to you but they're all, they, they're, it's, it's just different. And, and that's not their fault. Don't get mad at them because that's the way they are. That's just the way that they are. And, and that's just the world that we live in today. And so I think what we have to think about as coaches is, okay, how do we, instead of complaining about the way the world is today, let's adjust to the way the world is today and adjust our data. Uh, and, and again, be very clear about your non-negotiables but then adapt from that point and, and beyond. Yeah, those are, that's an excellent point. I think, I think all coaches are working on that. Um, I want to add into that. I think it's, I, I've always struggled with my assistant coaches talking too much. And, I, uh, and I, I understand delegation and all that. I think the hardest job is to get your assistants to talk less. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that us as head coaches we got to do a better job coaching on when an assistant coach needs to approach the, approach the team and talk, talk about that a little bit. Cause I think that's uh, underrated. I, yeah. I think that um, I'm in, I'm in a little bit of a different situation than I've ever had been because most of the places that I've been at um, probably my assistant coaches have been a uh, they, they've been very experienced. I had a guy, uh, Jeff Ritz, who won about 450 games here in Nebraska, and he was my assistant coach for seven or eight years. Um, so extremely knowledgeable guy. Uh, Sarah, Sarah Goodwin was an assistant for me for a long time. Mark Kolacek, um, 
and and these are these are experienced coaches. Uh, the coaches that I have with me now, they're doing a great job. They just don't have the same experiences as my previous coaching staff. Right. And, and so I have to kind of coach my coaches a little bit more um, than I than I have in the past. Uh, and here's here's what you say. Here's how you say it. Uh, talk to them in, in this manner, and and that will help them uh, understand it and move forward with it. And 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 they're doing a great job. Uh, they're doing a great job. I'm really uh, Ginger Apple is my uh, carryover assistant from last year. She was with me last year. She's going to be again with me this year. I've got a new assistant this year. She's a first year teacher. Uh, she's hungry. Uh, as Patino said, she's a PhD. She's poor, hungry and driven. And, um, you know, I, she wants to be a head coach someday. So that's a little bit different where it's like, OK, I feel like as she gets more comfortable with being an uh, assistant coach, Okay, now Jessica, here's here's a little thing that a head coach does. Let's see how you do with it, and and slowly integrate her into that type of role as she moves forward. But but they're they're doing a terrific job, and and but it's it's a di- little bit different for me that I'm I'm educating my coaches and teaching my coaches as well as teaching my players as well. Yeah, that's a great point, coach. I think we have to monitor our coaches. I, hey, you got to teach both. I mean, I, uh-huh. I think the great coaches are constantly great observers and that is they can pinpoint I can pinpoint something in practice and so forth and and it's how you it's how you approach your assistants um and not in a negative way right it's like hey this is how we can better reach Susie you know what I'm saying isn't that correct uh yeah to a degree um you know just a, a lot of times it's you know here's the drill and I you know I thought I explained it this way. Here's what I really wanted it to see. And, and sometimes, you know how it is as high school coaches. To, to be in how this drill is and so forth and so on. And so sometimes it's that correction after the fact. And, and, and then, hey, the next time, you know, let's do this drill tomorrow. Um, we were planning on doing something else, but let's do this tomorrow, but try it this way tomorrow sure. and put that into effect or, or, or do it like this. And, and uh, again, my coaches have just been so receptive to constructive criticism. Uh, they're great. They work their tails off for me as have all the assistant coaches I've ever had. I've been really lucky. I've been really blessed. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just been a, a great ride with those people helping me out. So and, yeah. and I was an assistant for 10 years, so I know what it's like to be an assistant coach sure. and want to help. Uh, they're there for a reason, too. Right. Uh, so give them responsibility um, because they're, they're, they're there for a vested interest. They're not just there to hang out. Uh, they want to be part of it. And, and so it's part of your job as a head coach to give them responsibility so they feel like they're part of the, the process. Coach, we're going to get into your full court pressure. Both of us are full court pressure. I'm more of a zone matchup uh, pressure coach. And mm-hmm. we, we, as soon as you walk into the gym, we're right there. We're right there in you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pete's more of a man-to-man uh, run and jump type coach. Kind of explain why you believe in your attacking pressing philosophy. Well, it goes back. Uh, I grew up in Iowa in the 80s. And, and so, uh, that was the days of the good Dr. Tom Davis and, uh, as, as, as great of a day as November the 2nd, 2016 was for me, uh, when the Chicago Cubs won the world series, um, 
1987 when Iowa lost a 19-point lead to UNLV in the Elite Eight when we thought we were going to the Final Four. Uh, that was that was a tough day for a lot of 13-year-old kids in Northwest Iowa. I'm telling you that right now. Tears were shed on many fronts. Uh, but that was kind of my first exposure to pressure defense. And just like watching it, you're like, that's fun. That looks like it's fun and it's fun to play and, and you're running around and you're shooting threes and not like the way the three-point shot is used today. And then when I started getting into coaching, and again, I give, I give Mike Power so much credit, uh, probably you know, the most important person I've ever had in my life as far as a coaching mentor. Uh, Mike had the foresight to do kind of the old Dean Smith run and jump. Mm-hmm. And, and again, one of the things I learned from Mike is uh, he stuck with it. Even when it looked ugly, he had a vision for what we wanted to do and where we were going to hang our hat. And um, that first year, uh, like I said, he, we went 500. And, and then the second year we were doing well. And then about halfway through um, it really clicked. And that's when we really took off and we went to the national tournament. Um, and we will, like I said, we won a couple of games and then the next year um, that's just when the, the doors just blew off of it. I mean, we were averaging 103, 104 points a game at one stretch. Uh, and this is before women played like this, you know, and uh so that was always something that I always wanted to do. And then I got the practical experience. And uh, when I worked with Jamie Sale after Mike left, uh, Jamie was a little bit more conservative. He still believed in pressure. But one of the things with the run and jump is you are susceptible to giving up easy baskets. If, if you get caught in a mid rotation or you get caught with a really good point guard who can see the floor really well or anticipate where the jump's coming from that type of thing. So Jamie was a little bit more conservative. So I learned from Jamie that it didn't have to be just all selling out. And um, so we did a little bit of that throughout my career. And then when the, with the two years that I was off, um, I just really, um, I, I, I put a, a little note card in my classroom and I said, tear the house down to the studs. And, and I forget where I got that from. It, it was, I, I copied it from somebody. So somebody else, somebody smarter than me came up with that saying, but I looked at pretty much every aspect of the game and okay, I know I still want to pressure and I'm, and we're talking specifically about pressure defense. I know I still want to pressure, but we don't want to give up easy layups, but we got to come up with something. Maybe if we don't have a lot of depth, how can we still pressure and pressure effectively? And as I continued to study, and, and again, I can't thank enough for all the coaches that let me go into their practices and, and watch them teach as well and picking up so many things in that regard. Uh, I really landed on the two, two, one. And, and we, you know, in our pillars, as we were talking about earlier, uh, the two, two, one is, I, I believe kind of the most versatile press that you can have, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. And, and after kind of breaking all of this down. So, um, we, I really just thought when I get back into it, if I get back into it, uh, we're going to really teach the crap out of the two, two, one. We're just going to teach that and teach it and teach it. And, and we started with baby steps last year. Uh, it wasn't until that last third of the season that we uh, were able to run it in a, in a game situation on a consistent basis. And, you know, you can already see it this summer um, with our returners that now it's starting to become instinctual mm-hmm. and, 
we're able to read passing lanes. We're able to rotate out of it better. Um, our back, we got a back row kid that boy, if, if she continue and she's just going to be a sophomore that, I mean, she's back there like Ed Reed and she's really starting to kind of figure this thing out or my beloved Iowa Hawkeyes secondary, um, you know, leading the nation interception. Sorry. It's not very often that we're number two in the country. We're, we're as Hawkeye fans, we're still trying to figure this whole thing out here. So, uh, but she's no just, dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hey, yep. So, uh, but <laughs> we're, uh, yeah. Hey, maybe, you know what, if I tell you what, if they end up matching up in the playoff, Kevin, me and you will meet somewhere. We'll go to the game together. How about that? That sounds great. Yeah. For sure. All right. That'd be good. That'd be good. You're paying. Uh, That's but right. I'll, I'll pay. I'll yeah. Pay. Okay. Uh, but uh, no. And so our kids have really tried to figure that out. So I really feel like when we start practice here in a few weeks, uh, they, they've seen success with it. They've seen success with it. They, they, they understand it. And, and now it's one more year of kind of teaching the basics. And then we're going to look to evolve out of it uh, with a little bit more of a run and jump patino type of action out of it. And, and so it's, it's kind of a hybrid of, of a lot of different things. And we still have a couple of different changeups. Um, you know, we'll, we'll run some man to man pressure. Um, we'll run uh, a little soft zone press out of it to throw a different look. Um, so those are some of the things that, you know, that's kind of been the evolution of the philosophy of, of where that is. So. I love that. I, I'm a two, as Pete knows, uh, I'll send you some video. I want you to evaluate my team a little bit. We, we are, we're a two, two, one. I just believe that it's, it's, I like you mentioned, I think you can, you can be aggressive sometimes and you cannot be aggressive at times. And I think mm -hmm. it prevents a lot of easy baskets, but we also mix it up with little one, two, one, one diamond, Iowa-type uh -huh. press. Yep. Coaches, I'd like to welcome our new Championship Vision podcast sponsor, Huddle Assist. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And assists is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stance like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. Huddle will also be at the Legends at the Grove Clinic on September 12th at Walnut Grove High School in Loganville, Georgia. Come stop by our table to chat and see what we have to offer. On that, talk about your front line. Are you guys denied? How aggressive you guys are in the front line? Uh, we're not going to deny. We'll let you take, we'll let you get the ball in. And again, that's part of not giving up the, the easy basket. Uh, we don't want to do that. Um, so we're going to, we're going to play three quarter inside, push them back to the ball, but we'll let you have the ball in. Now that opposite kid that's on the top row, she needs to get her took us pinching that middle. Um, the ball can go around it, but it can't go through it. That's, that's rule number one 
and, and our pressure. Uh, we, we, we will sell out keeping the ball out of the middle third of the floor. And, and so that top girl opposite is diving to the middle here, and that's her number one job when she's on the ball. Uh, if they want to reverse it backwards or parallel, go ahead. Go ahead. Again, go around it all you want. And, and we really teach our kids um, that top row person gets to the middle, and then that the, the, the second row opposite person in the 221 is up here pinching this as well. And then those two are instructed to, to hold those spots and, and hold the middle first. We'll get ball pressure second to prevent the ball from getting to the middle of the floor. And so they're supposed to hold there, even if it's a parallel swing, that top girl that's in the middle, she holds until she, we call it bump. You got to call the bump. And, and so if, if I'll just use my player's names, if, if yeah. Tess is on the ball and Bria's on uh, the top person in the middle, Bria's got to hear, stay there until she hears Tess yell bump. And then Tess has bumped Bria off and Bria is going to close out on the ball and Tess is going to hold the middle. And the same thing with our middle two kids. Um, and then we're telling our back row player, uh, you're, you're the eyes and ears of everything. You've got to, you've got to be the best communicator on the floor because you can see everything and you're telling the other four players what's going on the entire time. Marty, do you feel like this is just from teaching this press a long time. Do you, I feel like the second trap is better. So let's say they, yeah, they, we try to get a first trap and they throw it over the top. I always feel like, and that girl might just take off down the sideline. We get a second rotation in there. I feel like that's the best trap in the press. I know a lot of people would disagree. You get that girl really hunting that sideline. To me, you get a great trap late. Yeah. And, and that just comes with the, the attacking mentality, as, as Pete was saying. You know, you got to, uh, okay, you didn't get it the first time. If you can swing it into a second trap, then you can't give up on that. You've got to keep going after that, after that trap. Um, and, and I think that's, we're not quite to that part yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think we're a year away from really being able to sell out with that, that aspect of it, uh, just from the experience point of view. And we need a little bit more depth and, and, and that type of thing. Sure. But, um, you know, at some point we're going to get there, but that will be the mentality of it. You know, that kind of comes back from working with Mike with the run and jump. Um, we would, we would jump. And then if they got out of it, we would jump. And, and then if they got out of it again, we might jump again. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was extremely successful for us, but there were also times where, like I said, uh, how do you pressure and attack but then you want, you want the, we're selfish, we're coaches. We want the best of both worlds. We want to attack and try to trap, but we don't want to give up an easy basket either. We don't want to give a wide up a wide open sure. layup or, or put a situation where they give up an obvious foul and the other team shooting two free throws or whatever it may be. Um, so that's, again, that's in, in my own personal philosophy. And again, I can only speak for myself. That's where I settled in with the two, two, one. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's a great tempo press. And yes. that's a big part of it. I mean, it could slow or speed. Um, mm -hmm. What do you drop back into, Marty? You drop you man to man, uh, two three zone. What do y'all do? Perfect world, uh, man to man. Um, we we've really emphasized switching um, and and putting the ball at certain angles 
and things like that. We, we have, we have seven offensive principles and we have seven defensive principles. And I actually just met with my, my elementary and junior high coaches last week. And I, you know, number one, I was on that list or one, I shouldn't say number one, but it was high up on the list. This is what I expect you to try and do to the best of your ability. Now, fourth graders are a lot different than eighth graders, but you know, was, as they progress, we should see more and more of these principles consistently uh, as the kids progress within the program. So we're closing out top side shoulder. We're pushing baseline sideline. Uh, we want great ball pressure. We want to full front the post. Um, and uh, we want to really load to the ball. If, if Ginger were on this, uh, she'd be able to retire for every time she was to told to say load, load, uh, load to the ball, load to the ball. That was her job last year. Literally, whenever we went defense and we were doing shell drill or something like that, I told her, you have one job watch off the ball and keep telling them to load to the ball. Keep, and that was her job. And she did a great job. Um, and so we're doing that. We'll play some one, two, two and when appropriate, we'll throw a little junk at people. Uh, I really believe that you need to have one really good man-to-man -man philosophy, one uh, zone philosophy. Uh, and one of those have, and, it, and again, it's different for every coach. If you're a zone guy, then your, your zone needs to be number one. But I think you have to have some sort of man-to-man -man principles to fall back on and place a man-to-man. And then I think uh, you got to have one junk uh, defense that you can use um, when appropriate. And, and that's kind of what we've gone with is, is one man, one zone, one junk. And if you're trying to teach more than that, especially with most high school teams, if you can't guard them with three, the fourth one that you're going to draw up in that 60 second timeout probably ain't going to make much of a difference. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, that's great insight into your defensive system. Uh, give us, before you go, Marty, give us some, um, give me, give me a couple of your, uh, your two, two, one drills. And I like, I don't like to break everything down. There's a lot of things I just do a five man, five on five, but uh -huh. talk about what are your best breakdowns for teaching your two, two, one. Uh, our favorite one that we do is uh, we call it uh, five, uh, five versus four uh, yellow press. And, and our, our, we use colors with our defense. So our two, two, one is, is we call it yellow. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's five versus four yellow press. So we've got, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of show it to you guys here. Yeah, please. Yeah. Diagram. Um, That's oh. what we want. Okay. All right. So we've got, we've got the four defensive players. We've got the four defensive players. And then we take um, a player here and a player here. Now they're not allowed to move and we put them on. Usually we just put them on the volleyball standards there. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not allowed to move. Got a player here. And then, you know, girls taking it out and, you know, somebody's here. And again, we're, we're getting up and we're, we're trying to put a little bit of pressure on, but we're not going to let the ball go directly to the middle either. And so basically the drill is uh, we put 10 seconds on the clock and the job of the, the four defenders is to not let the ball get to the middle for sure. And, you know, try not to let it get it here but cardinal sin is not let it to get to this girl here so these three this player this player this player they can go wherever they want to go they yeah. can go wherever they want to go these two have to stay stationary they can't move they're not allowed to move and so we're working on guarding this but we're also uh so let's say the ball goes in 
balls right here. This girl is here. Here's our middle girl hugging this right here, taking this away. She's here. That girl that inbounded it, you know, that's kind of the common move is she's going to go there, right? So when this gets swung, we're working on our bump here and closing out. We're trying to take away this sideline. We're bumping this here and we're pinching this. And we just work this in small, quick bursts. Uh, again, for us, our whole thing, it can go around it all at once. And we don't, we don't really get upset per se if it goes to one of these two spots right here. Um, we get upset if it gets here. That's, that's, that's a non-negotiable. The ball doesn't get here. Um, but it, if it goes from here and she goes up the sideline, but she's able to slide here and, and cut this off right here, or, you know, we tell them, hey, if, if, it, if they float it, go get it, go get it, but don't get beat. If you can get back here, we really don't get that mad at them. We don't get them that mad at them because, again, we've made them go around it. They're not going through it here in the middle area and attacking the middle third of the floor. So that's, a, that's, a, that's one that we use a lot uh, to, to teach it. We also, um, we do like a tunnel drill. Like the girl has it here, she's right here. And we talk about, we do not want to, if she's dribbling, can you guys still see this? Okay, yep. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yep. she's dribbling here. We want to, uh, we don't want to jump from the front because we, we believe that that's a pretty easy look to go from here. That's a lot easier look. If, if in theory, whenever we get to jumping it from uh, here, we want to jump it from this spot and come from behind and make her throw a diagonal pass or something like that. Our philosophy, then no matter what press we run, uh, we say strong side stays. Our girls know that very well. Strong side stays. If you're on the strong side of the floor, you stay on the strong side of the floor. Um, and it's just kind of like that, you know, again, the same philosophy. If, if, a, if a girl is able to throw it consistently across the court, 40, 50, 60 feet with good ball pressure, we're probably going to lose anyway. So, you know, let's, let's not make it easier for them. Let's get beat by them making a, a really good basketball play on a consistent basis. So we really tell our kids the strong side stays and, and they're not supposed to jump up uh, again. That's, that's a cardinal sin in our pressure. We don't want that girl. We want to maintain that 15 to 18. We talk about defensive spacing in our zone presses. And so everybody talks about offensive spacing. We talk a lot about defensive spacing and making sure we maintain that 15, 18 to 20 feet that you're not coming up. Um, and, and eventually now if, when they bring it in into the coffin corner, then go ahead and rush it. Then we get that rotation on the backside. We can use the half court line and the, and the sideline as the extra defenders. And then, and then we're in really good shape there. So you uh, so you you trap with the uh, uh, the two guards, so on the top, yeah, and, and you yeah yeah exactly, and that's um, and it's funny on that that's actually a secondary option that we use. I better have some quick guards to do that though, uh, yeah. against the kind of the talent that we play. Uh, but I do like that philosophy. I think uh, the coach from Alaska Anchorage uh, women's coach does a great job on teaching that type of pressure. Uh, at least you protect that you protect that back line, right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, the, the biggest thing is, is uh, we feel like uh, we feel like we scout well. Uh, we feel like our kids are pretty prepared. 
And if we can make you earn baskets, we don't want to give you away, give away any easy baskets. Uh, you know, sometimes in, in high school girls basketball, it's hard to score. You know, the, the, the teams that usually win, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of no different at any level. Yeah. If you've got the best scorer there, you got a good chance of winning. And, and so sometimes we struggle to score and even great teams struggle to score. Uh, the best, the best team I've ever been a part of. Um, I mean, that was an anomaly. I mean, we went 37 games in a row where we scored 80 points at least every game. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. And that was at the college <laughs> level. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so we don't want to give away any baskets if, if we don't have to, and, and, and it's the nature of the game every once in a while, but, but we don't want to give away four, five easy ones. Um, and, you know, again, this is just something we've settled in on. We feel like it's teachable. We feel like it's universal. We can run our yellow. If, if we've got a really athletic group, we can run our yellow press and have it be more aggressive. If we're not as athletic, we can run our yellow press and, and make it much more conservative. Mm -hmm. But the kids have the basic concepts and we're not reteaching a press every single year um, that we're going to find that rhythm within our, our, our program from the bottom moving up. I love that. And I love how you... Uh, working with your feeder teams, I think a lot, and that's advantage of being at a smaller school, right? Right, Marty? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, um, you know, Omaha is pretty, pretty cutthroat. It can be. And when you're dealing with kids and, and everybody wants to win and uh, truth be told, that was one of the things on the checklist is I, I think one of the things that wore me out uh, when, you, when, you're, when you're coaching collegiately, you accept it. Uh, when you're coaching, because you know it's part of the game. Everybody's recruiting. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to use the R word. Everybody's encouraging. Uh, <laughs> uh, but And I'm sure people probably would say the same thing about me, and that's fine. I get it. That's fine. Uh, but I just wanted to focus on uh, – I wanted to be in a situation. One of the five things on the checklist was to, to get into kind of a more of a closed district and to focus, you know, okay, for better or worse, if we have three good seventh graders, let's say, mm -hmm. at least I know I'm going to have those three good seventh graders and unless dad gets a promotion somewhere or right. something like that. Um, and, and so we've really emphasized, and again, this is where um, Brett, uh, I mentioned Brett earlier, Brett Greenow has done a terrific job. And I've got other people around me that are just doing a great job of organizing our uh, youth programs and and moving that in a positive direction. Um, there were some bumps in the road. We we had to we had to do some things that we thought were were right that some people kind of you know were not ready to change so to speak. Sure. And 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 we took a little bit of heat for it. But when you know that you're doing the right thing for the long term good and future of the program, uh, you're willing to take those bullets a little bit and 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 do what you think is right. So I, I can't thank folks like like brett mark bauman couple you know just they, they've been they've been awesome to work for me yeah player development right and, and coming from the grassroots i think a lot of schools are built nowadays uh we live close to atlanta uh, uh -huh. and the r word the recruiting is is big time yeah and kids are transferring all over the place uh, yeah. and uh but i think you have to really get in touch with those kids early on yep and build that grassroots player development connect with them early right money Oh, I, I think it's just about uh, being credible and building great relationships with the kids. Um, a lot of times you spend time, again, encouraging 
kids to come to you. What about encouraging the kids you already have? Right. And, and, and creating a great experience for those type of players. And so if, if you're in your situation, if you're in a suburb of Atlanta um, and you've got, you know, build something that the kids that are there want to stay home with. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I told our coaching staff is, uh, and I didn't really think about this until a few months ago, but it was kind of the mentality we went into, but I finally put a label on it uh, a few months ago. We need to win every interaction that we have with a player or with a family, one interaction at a time. We can't worry about the next interaction. We can't worry about the last interaction. We want every interaction with our families and our players to be, and, and have them get more excited about Fort Calhoun girls basketball more this time than they are going to be the next, you know, get them excited about the next one. Um, when I talked to my youth coaches last week, your overriding goal of everything that you do is whether it's a, it's a practice, it's, it's a, it's a league game, it's a tournament game. You have to have those kids leaving that gym more excited to come back than they were to get there at that point. That's your job. And, and everything else, if, if you're the greatest X's and O's teacher in the world, but the kids are not happy and you're yelling, kicking, screaming, uh, and, and doing whatever. And, and I don't have coaches like that. Um, I don't have to, it's just a reminder. It's not something I have to teach any of my coaches, which is terrific, but we have to win every interaction one at a time. And that's the only thing we can focus on is just winning that interaction on a daily basis. When I see one of my players in the hallway, I want to win that interaction with that player. I want them to feel better about me and our relationship after that interaction than they did before the interaction started. And, and, and that's, you just got to build that one little step at a time. And, and hopefully we're able to do that. Yeah. And that really should be a, a win that you try to do every single day, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's more important than anything else. And that, that will lead to the final result, which hopefully is on the scoreboard, but winning those interactions to me are key. That, that, that's a great finishing point, Marty. Mm -hmm. it, it, um, before you leave, uh, what is one final comment that you can help out us coaches and my listeners on a coach rebuilding a program right now? Uh, you mentioned a lot of things, but what are some, what are some, what's one key point that you can offer to our listeners? Um, it's the one, I, I guess the, probably the one thing I haven't said um, that during my sabbatical that I needed to remind myself of. And I think I, I, I don't think I know I got away from be yourself, be yourself. Um, uh, you know, Forrest Gump told Jenny, you know, don't you want to be somebody famous? And Forrest said, oh, aren't I going to be me, you know, or whatever. You just got to be you. There's only one you, so be you. Um, I, I know that I needed to get back to finding joy and, and having fun with the game and, and, and cracking jokes. And uh, now they, I guess they're called dad jokes these days. That's what my players tell me is uh, that's another dad joke coach. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll say, okay, whatever. Uh, but um, I, I, I think so often I, and I'm sure I, I, I know I was guilty of it. Uh, the, well, this is the way this coach handles this situation. I got to be like that. Um, you know, 
the, the biggest, the greatest example right now of that right now, uh, and again, there's some, there's some language and, and some adult content associated with the whole thing. Watch Ted Lasso. That guy is just being Ted Lasso. That's just who he is. And there's so many great kernels of, of coaching stuff that you're watching him uh, as he's doing these crazy things. And it's, it's a, like I said, it's a humorous show. And, and if, if you're not into the, the adult content type of stuff, then, then don't watch it because there is adult language in it. So let me, let me be very clear as I say that, that I'm not, encouraging, but I, I think you just have to be yourself. I think that's, I, I know that that's something that I lost a little bit track of. And, and I really made a commitment to get back to just being who I truly am and, and not worrying about the other stuff. And, and uh, you know, at, at some point, they're going to find out who you really are in the first place. If you're trying to be somebody else, um, the kids are going to figure it out and then you lose credibility. Wow. And so if you're kind of a dorky dude like me, then be a dorky dude around your players because they're going to appreciate that a lot more than you trying to be somebody that you're not. And, and I think that's, I think that's really important for, for any coach to do. Coach, that's great wisdom. I sure appreciate you joining us on the podcast. You are now part of the championship vision family coach. I, well, I, I appreciate it, Kevin. I love what you're doing. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm just, uh, humbled, uh, utterly humbled that, that you, uh, thought enough of me to, to have me on your podcast. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit different being on the other side of this deal. Uh, you know, it's, 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 that's right. uh, I feel like it's a little bizarro Jerry Seinfeld world here a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. You guys are, you know, I, in the short time that we contacted each other, I had a little bit of time to listen to, to one of your podcasts, but I'm going to dive in, uh, here a little bit more. Um, you know, if folks want to check, uh, my stuff out, uh, if you want to email me or whatever, uh, with any of the stuff that we've talked about, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to call me, uh, 402-990-5128, you can look at the website, a pen and a napkin.com. Uh, as soon as I'm done with these pesky government lesson plans, I'm going to do some stuff with that. Uh, uh, do some remodeling of it. Uh, uh, Twitter at a pen and a napkin. And, and uh, just thanks, thanks to you for what you're doing. Uh, down in Georgia as well. And, and, and some of the coaches, I mean, you've had an impressive list of folks on your rundown as well. So uh, hats off to you guys as well and everything that you're doing. Um, and, and again, just thanks so much for, for having me on. Marty, thanks again, man. I, I mean, I appreciate everything you're doing for the game and for us, us coaches on that. I know I learned a lot from you just perusing and checking out your website. I know you're, you're a caretaker of the game. But when Georgia and Iowa play in the finals, uh, I definitely owe you a dinner for that one, man. So, um, <laughs> well, hey, Alabama's going to be around there somewhere. I just uh, you. you can, you can, uh, you can buy me, you can buy me dinner wherever it's at. I don't know where the title game's at, though. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I tell you what, here's here's a great lesson, and 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 a, uh, you know, the one thing about Iowa, and and whether it's Iowa, Iowa State, Northern Iowa. Um, the one thing that's that's really good about this is, you know, Ferentz and Matt Campbell have built those programs and they haven't tried to be anybody else but themselves. And and I think that's just a real point of pride uh, that we have here in the Midwest of just being who we are. Uh, one of the things I told my girls, we're not going to try and be anybody else. We're not going to judge ourselves against anybody else. 
uh, we're going to just be who we are. I mean, again, you know, I'm a little biased. Kirk Ferentz is running a, a cover two with three linebackers on the, on the field at all times. They still huddle for God's sakes. They huddle. Ah, Who does that anymore? They huddle. Oh, man. I love the old school for sure. Yeah. One of their best players is a fullback. What's a fullback. You what? had to go, you had to go back in the way back machine, but <laughs> But but they they they're not apologizing who who they are. Right. Um, they're playing to the strengths of what they have to recruit to, and they have a bunch of of hardworking Midwestern kids for the most part, who um, know they're they're not five stars. They're not going to be glamorous kids. They know they're going to have to probably put in two or three years in the weight room before they have a chance to play. Uh, but they know that if they stick with it, there's going to be a really good payoff in the end. And, and there's no apologies for who we aren't. We're just going to be who we are. And I think that that's something that, that all coaches can take with them. I love that. Coach Pete, uh, final words uh, for Marty, because I know he's got to go. He's got to get ready. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what time yeah, it is. It's been so I'm much really fun, I've lost track of time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really enjoyed listening to what you said about building your program and all. And uh, I go back a long, long ways. And one of the things that you're talking about the press that I don't see anybody emphasizing, it was part of what I always emphasize. And I got from Jerry Tarkanian, and that's just the bluff, where somebody dribbles the ball toward you, we're going to bluff and back up. Mm -hmm. And if kids work at that, you, you can master it. And it's, it's a big help. But I don't see anybody doing that. I really don't. But I sure would love to see you girls play. We're getting there uh, slowly but surely. Uh, I, I can't say enough about my kids. Um, you know, we're, we're progressing. Um, we got a ways to go yet. Um, but last year was a, a very nice, it was, it was a very good first step. Uh, but now the expectations are elevated a little bit, and that's what you want. And, um, you know, we just want to keep things moving forward. And, and get 1% better every day. And when we start out on November 15th, we just want to be 1% better at, at 6 o'clock than we will be at 3.30 that day. And if we do that, and that's, that's all we can control. That's all we can control. And we're not going to worry about November 16th. We're going to worry about November 15th and what we can do that day and get 1% better that day and just continue to just build it one interaction at a time. And that's all we can control. And and when you get start worried about all that other stuff, that's that's when you start losing focus on what's really important. And that's just yeah. that day. So, yeah, for sure. Marty, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck with your podcast tonight. Matter of fact. Ah, thank Bye. you. I got to I got to go. Uh, got to go ice down a little bit here before I make a phone call. So <laughs> that's right. Take <laughs> care, know. Coach. Thank you. so All much. right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yep. Hi, this is Matt from Court Cart. The Court Cart is a great way to store your basketballs and is handy at practice. You can lock up 24 men's or 30 women's basketballs with our zippered top. The cart is sturdy and easy to wheel around the court. The cart is $2.69 with free shipping. The court board is a whiteboard that attaches to the cart so you can draw plays up on the court. The Court Cart court board package is $5.28 with free shipping. You can find out more information on courtcart.com. This is Mike May, creator and owner of Practice Planner Live Software. I'm excited about partnering with Kevin Furtado and Championship Vision Podcasts. We share a common passion of helping basketball coaches be more effective in their profession. With over 26 years of basketball coaching experience, I created Practice Planner Live with the purpose of saving coaches valuable time in creating efficient and effective practice plans.
John Wooden once said, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Practice Planner Live can take your practice planning to a whole nother level with tools and functionality that will maximize your team's ability to reach their potential.